Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 250. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 250 you're listening to. That's right, 250. My guest today is my dear friend, Mr. Vance Powell. This is Vance's second appearance on the show. He has made cameo appearances in other shows, but his first appearance happened five years ago on episode 007. Here we are, episode 250. Um, about five years later, and I figured, who better to do episode number 250 and do the first of repeat interviews but Vance Powell. So Vance and I got together over at Sputnik Sound in Nashville at the end of Summer Nam. He and I had a great conversation. We were joined in the room by our friend Chris Athens, the great mastering engineer. Chris chimed in from time to time off mic, but uh, you'll hear more from Chris at, an, at another time. But we basically sat down for a great interview, and then, of course, Chris and Vance and I went out for burgers and then went swimming. And then uh, Chris and I both headed to the airport to, to get out of Nashville and to uh, go our separate ways. A lot has changed for Vance since we last spoke. Uh, he was doing quite well back then, but now he's doing even better, which is really a treat to observe over these years to see him win Grammy Award after Grammy Award. And for those of you that don't know Vance, he is a six-time Grammy Award-winning record producer, engineer, and mixer. His credits include Chris Stapleton, Jack White, Tyler Bryant, The Shakedown, The Raconteurs, uh, The Dead Weather, The White Stripes, Arctic Monkeys, Wolf Mother, Martina McBride, and oh my God, I'm almost out of breath. The Stray Cats. You can't forget the Stray Cats. Yeah. Vance Powell, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, friends, grab those coffee cups. Mm, that's good. That coffee that I'm drinking, I have to say thank you to our listener and friend, Jared Miller. Jared is at the Filter Lab. You can check out thefilterlab.com, read more about Jared and what he's up to. I tend to speak to, to some of you listeners uh, when I have the opportunity over video, over uh, over the phone, uh, over social media messaging, emails, etc. Met a lot of great people. In particular, last night, I had the privilege of speaking with uh, a new listener uh, who's located in Singapore. That is Carlene. Hello, Carlene. She's probably absolutely shocked to hear her name right now. But uh, anyways, we had a great conversation. She's just starting out and seeking some guidance about uh, her path and where she's going to go. Her first episode was episode number 245 with Steve Shady. It occurred to me that many of you who are new to the show don't really have the full picture of why the show exists. Those of you that have been listening since, you know, day one, you all know. Those of you who know me well know why the show started. So I'm going to encourage new listeners to go back to the early episodes. Just start at number one. Work your way through from there and pay a visit to the Working Class Audio website. Check that out. And in short, I'll give you a quick summation because I don't want to bore all the old listeners. The basic origin story is this. I got my ass handed to me in trying my best to run a studio in San Francisco during the last recession. And the failures that came as a result were the cause of me starting this podcast because I was seeking answers. And I figured what better way to get answers to my questions than to create a podcast and start asking 
all of my peers and friends and people that I want to talk to in the audio world about how they survive. And man, what a journey it has been. That was five years ago. And a lot has changed since then. I was not in a great place back then. I was definitely not financially doing well and was not doing so great on many other fronts. And so I started this podcast to, as I say, get these questions answered. And the doors it has opened has, have been nothing short of stunning. You know, who would have thought that I would be able to interview the people I've been able to interview? Chad Blake, Butch Vig, Eddie Kramer, a lot, of, a lot of the other people that are just in the trenches working daily. All the information I have gathered from all those people have definitely contributed to the changes that I've experienced over the years. Back then, as I said, wasn't in a great place. Today, I'm in a much better place. So this has been a fantastic journey, to, to say the least. I have to thank all of you for, for taking the time week after week to listen because all of you have been super supportive and I really appreciate it. And I um, hope you continue to listen. The questions will continue to be asked, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of on a quest to help others, whether it's climb out of debt, get your studio together, uh, and improve your overall audio business life. Uh, so working on some things, we'll see where those go. You know, over the years I've said, oh, I'm working on this, I'm working on that. And, you know, I've tried some stuff and a lot of stuff has not worked. So I'll let you know when I have something relevant to tell you about, but I've definitely uh, got some things in the works. We'll see where they wind up. And uh, I hope you stick around for uh, the big reveal at some point down the road, if there is a big reveal. Anyhow, thanks for, thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. 
As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Vance Powell here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, fans. Thanks, Matt. We have sitting in the room with us the great mastering engineer, Chris Athens, who is a casual observer to the process. And I kind of roped him in because otherwise he's going to be hanging out at his hotel doing nothing mastering records, right? you know, making money. You'll be hearing more from Chris at a later date. I'll yeah. just say that. The great Chris Athens. The great Chris Athens. Just so the audience knows, we did it, we did it remote the first time, but we are mm-hmm. here at Sputnik Sound in Nashville mm-hmm. doing this interview. NAM has ended summer Thankfully, NAM. There was a raging party here. My liver cannot take it another day. Oh, your liver needs to take a union break mm-hmm. for sure. In this interview, we're not really going to touch on stuff we've already done because Vance was number 007. And by the time you hear this, as I've said before, this is episode number 250 you're listening to. Mm -hmm. So we're going to- Many moons have passed. Many things have changed. Mm -hmm. New information has been had. New allegations have come to light. (laughs) New New indictments. And uh, new perspectives. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. What do you think is the biggest change that has happened between now and the time we talked the first time? First of all, I had been in this building about a month and a half. It was a new, exciting time for me because I'd come from, we'd come from the old Sputnik and there was so much stuff that was new and and changed. And, you know, I was really excited. I had just not long before that taken on management from GPS, Jeremiah, Robert, GPS, and You know, I mean, I want to make sure I don't sound like I'm not excited about it now, but I was very excited about the future, and it was a really cool time. And what changed in the last five years is that now much more settled in here. This room sounds way better than it did five years ago. I made a console change about four years ago. That was a major deal. We had some structural issues in the building, just acoustically structural issues that we had to fix. And all that stuff, you know, at that point, I, I, I got to be honest with you, I was just clueless that it was going to come about. But that's what happens when you build a studio. You you build a studio, and I, I think that every one of us here have built studios and made decisions that were wrong. You've also had a lot of successes happen as a, as a result of your yep. efforts. Now, I, I don't know if I'd done the Stapleton record at that point. I don't think you had. That record came out on the 5th of May, and it had sold about 70,000 records, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Yeah. People knew who he was, you know. When the CMA Awards happened with Justin Timberlake, 24 hours later from that performance, it had sold another 70,000 records. Yeah, it kind of blew up. 
How do you feel when you see something you worked on is getting traction out in, in the world like that? Do you get butterflies? Do you Hugs. get nervous? Every every single record you do and you put out into the world is sort of that deal where, you know, I, I have equal amounts of excitement and fear all at the same time, you know, fear of peers hating it or are the fans hating it, you know, and excitement about it coming out and being proud of it. I think most people would be lying if they said that they don't have some fear of putting things out. You know what I mean? Your work uh, has a microscope put yeah, on it. Yeah. I don't really freak out on it too much, but there's a little bit of trepidation about it. And then when it blows up or it does really well or whatever, usually, to be honest with you, I'm just sort of surprised. Like, wow, really? Cool. Because I don't think anybody really knows what is going to be a hit or not these these days. Yeah. Have there been any great business revelations, things that have happened that you're like, okay, I'm shifting gears. I'm going to do it this way now because I've had this experience. I think the biggest thing is, and and I think everybody, again, all I think all, all three of us, I mean, Chris is here. He, we've all built studios in our house or not in our house, but in a commercial facility, you know, whatever. Yeah. When I was here, when we talked last, I was spending money like it was going out of style to try to get the studio finished. And then that year, that later that next year, I remember doing my taxes and being like, wow, I did not make hardly any money this year. And that was great. It was awesome. I didn't have to pay a lot of taxes. It was great. And then the next year, wow, okay, well, I got to pay some more. And then the next year, like, wow, I got to pay more. And then last year, like, oh, shit. Now I owe a lot because I had been doing this deal where I was buying gear. So I was spending 30-some percent of my income on building the studio. And then I got to a point where I just I just couldn't do it. There's no room. There's nothing really left for me to buy in a way. And so I stopped buying gear and started actually making some money, and that was great. And then my tax debt was way higher, and I wasn't really prepared for it. And I had to scramble and figure out a way to cover it. And then so finally I just said, okay, screw this. So I took on a business manager. And now I let them take a few percent of my income, and they pay the studio bills, they pay my American Express, and they they have me on a budget. I get a stipend a month. That's my sort of home budget. And that's a really good deal. I'm glad. Because given unfettered access to Reverb or eBay <laughs> or, you know, or uh, things like that, I'll see something like, oh, man, I, I really need that. Yeah. My house at the moment is a disaster because I'm doing a remodel. And, I mean, it's just like, Building a studio was like watching money fly out a window. Doing a remodel is like watching a funnel of money being popped into a tube and then fired out of a money cannon. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just like, oh, oh, yeah, mission creep. Oh, I, I, th I thought maybe you might want these can lights over the eaves. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool, thousand bucks. There'll be a change order. Yeah, a change there. order involved. Yes, exactly. So having a business manager is really good because they can kind of go, okay. Don't do this this month. We're going to do this. We're going to pay this debt down. We're going to do this. We're going to reinvest this money that you have into this so that we can do this. So it's, that's been great. We're not talking about a ton of money here. Right. We're not talking about like mastering money. We're talking about like recording studio money. That's my joke. I, I make the same joke with Athens and Pete Lyman. That's the deal. Y'all got that mastering money. Yeah, you got that big, got that big mastering money. <laughs> Man, I wish I could get myself into that mastering money. I make a millionaire two hundred dollars at a time. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know how to become a millionaire in the music business? Start with four. Right. 
Right in the studio business. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. How does one find a business manager to do this task you're talking about? This kind of business manager is pretty easy to find in a music city like this one. Okay. Because the guys who manage, the business manager, they manage Pete, they manage Reed, they manage me, they manage Ryan Hewitt, and they manage a whole bunch of artists. And you like that because it provides some structure to your financial world? Mm Mm-hmm. Which has been solely lacking. I mean, I've always managed all of our money, Mm -hmm. and that's been great, but... I can't say that I think it's always been put in the smartest place. Mm. I have bought gear I don't use, and I shouldn't have. Common mistake. Yeah. The thing is, I don't ever try to buy anything that's like really brand new or whatever, unless I can feel like I could sell it tomorrow for the same amount I bought it for. So. But you in particular have experienced fame within the audio world. You're a very recognizable guy. I mean, I sat here at the party, and it was like seeing people come to visit the king, right? People were coming in, oh, can I get a picture with you? You have experienced some fame, really. It's kind of weird. How do you feel about that? How does that work for you? It's really odd, but I got to be honest with you, it's ego boosting. Sure. I think it's awesome. When people come up to me, I'm, you know me, I'm, I mean, I'm a handshake guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to take a picture? Sure, let's do it. Yeah. It doesn't ever really freak me out. I have had a couple really odd occasions where I've like been in a bar in another city, like sitting in a bar in Atlanta, and a guy came up to me and he's like, "Hey, I know you. You're you're in T-pop last month or whatever." I'm like, yeah. He's like, "Oh man, nice to meet you." You know, it's kind of weird. I was on the St. Charles trolley in New Orleans. Is that right, St. Charles? The one that goes out the Garden District or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. What whatever. That, I think that's that, right. Whatever that is. And Diane and I were getting off. And some guy's like, hey, you're Vance. <laughs> Just some dude getting on the trolley. So every now and then, that kind of is a little weird. How do you keep it from getting in the way of things in well, your not, own mind? I'm not that famous. There's no paparazzi sitting around outside. It can yeah. sabotage <laughs> you mentally to some degree, right? It can like cloud your judgment about things. To be honest with you, that is a weird deal because there have been a couple times where I think I have believed my own hype. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a thing that you do this for a while. And if people start to know you, you know, you, you kind of get the, I'm kind of a badass syndrome. Uh-huh. But I always kind of feel like that I can get brought down to size pretty quick. I remember when the day I got a call that I won my first Grammy Award. Now, that's a big deal. At that moment in time, I was spraying dog shit off my porch. <laughs> You know, so I can just relate back to the fact that I'm just a guy with a hose and dog shit on my porch. You know, like, okay, 10 minutes ago, I had dog shit on my porch and a hose in my hand. 10 minutes from now, there won't be dog shit on my porch and I will be putting the hose away and I'll be a a Grammy awarding engineer. The reality is, is it's the same person. What are the things that keep you in check? Like, do your peers keep you in check? Comparisons, the thief of joy. Right. Yeah, of course it does. You know, it's weird. I, I'm strange in the fact that, like, I am not someone that ever 
checks my work against somebody else. And it's obvious because it's, it's obvious I don't. People go, oh, I want to send you a reference. I'm like, like, you mean a rough mix? No, no, like a track to reference. I'm like, don't. I'm not ever going to listen to it. Now, can I say that's a good idea? It's probably not a good idea. I wouldn't ever tell anybody to not do that. In other words, to do what I'm doing. But the back to comparisons to Thief of Joy, if I get a song and I make a mix and I send it to the artist and they want it to sound like a John Mayer song, they're either going to be one of two things. They're going to be disappointed that doesn't sound like John Mayer or they're going to go, wow, this, this isn't what I expected. And I'm really excited about that. The reality is if they want it to sound like John Mayer, they should be John Mayer. Don't send me a mix and say, I really want this to sound like this, because there's no way that's ever going to happen. You don't have Steve Jordan playing drums. You're not John Mayer's guitar player. You didn't record it in this studio. You didn't use these Neve modules. You didn't have this engineer. It's like someone saying, I want you to mix this song, and I want to send, I'm going to send you a, a reference track, and they send you pet sounds. It's like, okay. That's weird. Sure. Yeah. But yours has, like, two guitars, bass, and drums, and... Not gonna fucking sound like pet sounds ever, but I I have actually had that ask, I go, and then come to find out, you dig down a little bit, and what they want is they want the vocals to have that big chamber reverb thing. Okay, cool. Now I get it, but it's not gonna sound like pet sounds ever. Even Brian Wilson can't sound like pet sounds. Now at this level, you've had some Grammys, and you're at this particular. A few. Level of point. success. Have those things like communication with the artist, have they gotten any better or are they still the same? Let me just say in the last 10 years, since like the Raconteurs record, right? The last Raconteurs record, which was 11 years ago. The things that have changed is almost always I'm mixing remotely. So I'm communicating with artists either via FaceTime, email, or telephone, or text, which is sort of the great leveler of all things, because now they will just text, oh, I, I really love it. I, I wish maybe the chorus was wetter or something. Mm-hmm. Instead of talking on the phone or having artists here in the room. Now, the, the Raconteurs record I just did, everybody was in the room, and it was great because I could just go, what do you guys think of this? Love it, hate it. Yeah, keep going, whatever. I mean, that's my favorite way to do it. But it can also really fuck things up. Like working on a sound and have somebody say, yeah, I don't like that. Like, well, you don't know what it is yet. And I've also had artists who've decided that they want to hire me to mix the record that they want to mix. Yeah. The old, uh, okay, cool. So what I'm hearing here is I want you to do the guitars. And I'm like, okay, cool. Why don't you stop talking and let me do my thing? Or I'll give you your record back. Right. You didn't hire me to tell me what to do. I'm not a technician. You hired me like you'd hire a guitar player or a drummer or something to make music. I'm going to make music. I'm going to make music out of these files that you gave me. So, I mean, I am a technician, but I'm not just a technician. If you want that, I will give you a list of names that'll do a perfect job for you. Do you still feel like you have to hustle as much as you used to? Of course. Absolutely. Matter of fact, here's the truth. At the moment, I am in a weird, slow period. It's never happened to me. Now, what happened was a couple things canceled that I was booked on. One was a Chris Stapleton thing that kind of, it was a movie thing and it kind of fell through. And the other was I was supposed to go do a workshop in Switzerland and that fell through. And so at the same time, I was remodeling, starting to remodel my house. So what I did was I just purposely said, look, let's not try to hustle up work in this hole. I'm going to just be at my house every day with the contractors pointing fingers and telling them where I want outlets. 
and things like that. And it actually worked out perfect. And then this week, this is a damn week. I worked all week this week. And then the next week here, my parents are in town. So I'm going to spend the week vacation time with them. We're going to go do things. And then the week after that, I start back super busy again. But it's always sort of a, like, every time I look at the schedule and I'm like, oh, well, there's an open day. That open day is me losing money. Yep. It's like an airplane sitting on the ground, right? Yeah. It's just, you feel the same way, right? You're always busy. You don't I have to. take a rig with me everywhere I go. Right. Now, see, I love that. <laughs> Here's a joyous story. I jumped through 50 hoops to mix a track for an artist. I carted around a suitcase full of UAD quads and hard drives and headphones to multiple places. I flew to New York. I spent a whole day on a mix stage in New York. I did all this stuff for a record. And then at the last minute, the artist decided that she wanted the guy who mixed her record to mix this song for the movie. I mean, I jumped through more hoops than I would ever want to jump through to do it. And part of the reason why I feel like it sort of went down that way is because I was carrying around a laptop and headphones and not mixing in my space. You were outside your comfort zone. Well, I can do that. It's That's not a problem. Everybody approved the mixes. Everybody's cool. Just the artist changed their mind. That's all cool. Fine. But at the same time, I kind of feel like that if it would have just come to me, I would have done it here. And then everybody would have had opinions. We would have changed them if the artists were involved. But instead, I'm flying all over the country with a laptop trying to fit this in between other stuff. I know Sheps is doing it, but I mean, he's awesome at it. To me, I, I don't feel comfortable mixing in headphones. I just don't. I know Chris has been mastering things in headphones. He has super great headphones. And, and as a mastering engineer, you know, your reference is your reference. Mm -hmm. my reference just tends to have air around it, you yeah. know, and I have tools and things that I know what these speakers sound like in here. So I feel like it's much easier with mastering too, because, you know, the process has already been approved. The hard work's already been done. The heavy lifting's already been done. And most of the good stuff that I work on really only needs sweetening and kind of like to run through my approval process. It doesn't need much. And it's something that I'm able to do. My clients don't want to wait. So, hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the other thing, too. This project I was talking about was under a time crunch. So much so that a movie company spent probably 20 grand in flights and hotels to fly me first class to New York at the drop, literally at the drop of a, of a just like, okay, if you give me to New York, I'll do this. And they said, okay, cool. Carl will be there at 4 a.m. Damn. And, you know, and it's a weird deal, too. You jump through all these hoops, you do the thing, and then the artist changes their mind. When I ask you about Sputnik Sound, mm -hmm. do you ever feel the need to grow out of this space into a bigger space? Yes, but it's not going to happen. I'm too old. It just seems like you have such a special space here. Yeah. What's happened is it's become very much me. You all on the air here in your ears can't see this, but I have this big wall back behind me, and it, it's a wall literally of my shit. It's thank you cards and records and some old Vargas. Tchotchkes. Tchotchkes and... Grammy uh, Awards. Grammy Awards, yeah. yeah. There's a couple of those back there. And it's just this whole 
thing of the last really 12 or 15 years of making records, a lot of tape. It was originally started as a big diffuser with tape, but now it's just become, become this holder of things. and Mem- Memorabilia. Memorabilia, and it, it's really cool. It becomes, it becomes a part of me. The lighting is all me, all that stuff. And so what's happened is I've landed into a space that's super comfortable, and I just can't see me going anywhere else. Yeah, There have been times where I've been asked to make records and they want to do it here. And I just know that like a five-piece band or a six-piece band and it's not going to work. I have a recording space and I have two booths, basically. It works really great for like that four-piece rock band. I did Clutch here and it was great. It's a three-piece rock band, but we basically set up two guitars. But you didn't do Stray Cats here. That, that was a producer decision. That was Peter Collins. I think if Brian would have come over, Mm -hmm. I think Brian would have loved it. And it would have been great. But what Brian wanted, he wanted to cut the whole record in one room. And Blackbird worked out pretty good for that, to be honest with you. He wanted to cut in one room. He wanted to be able to see everybody. And that could happen here, but with a lot of work. And then you've got an upright bass. The upright bass is electric, but it's it's all about the acousticness of the bass for the rockabilly. Blackbird was really kind of the only thing. And even then, there's so much of Brian's guitar in the bass mics that it might not have even mattered. So you employ some people. I think technically I don't employ anybody. They're independent contractors. They're independent contractors. Uh, I don't ever pay my, my assistant. I don't pay him. He gets paid from the client. Oh. So he invoices the client. And what are you looking for, for for somebody that comes to assist you in this capacity? What's important to you? You have to care about what we're doing as much as I do. And that's hard often because they're not making as much money as I am and they don't own the studio. But that's what I want. I want somebody who cares that much about it. For them, it, it's it's a resume builder because to say well, that sure. they've worked with you is... Well, I've, I've had four assistants. Three of the four have Grammys. I think I'm going to leave and... Leave the Bay Area and come His assist him. have more Grammys than I do. It's kind of fucked. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. It's true. Uh, at the moment, Mike Fahey's my assistant, and he's been with me longer than anybody. He's been with me about four years. And he is awesome. I have pushed him this year to start doing records. He's been producing some local bands. Okay. And recording. And he is musical. He's a, he's a guitar player, so yeah, he's producing. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you say, Send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. 
I know we all have to go through our, our experiences to get where we're at, right? And we have to make the mistakes and, mm -hmm. you know, you've been through a lot. What are some of the things that you could have, you could just cut to the chase and say, Ooh, I want to get to there quicker. I want to get to where I'm at now quicker. What are some of the things that, that slowed you down in the past? Relying on other people. Hmm. Here's the funny thing. You can't look back and second guess because everything that's happened has happened. There's no way that you could change things in the past that wouldn't put you where you are now. In other words, okay, in 92, I lived in Springfield, Missouri. I worked for Lou Whitney, who I love dearly. We were on the road touring with Dave Alvin. I worked at Lou's studio. I could, I could have worked at Lou's studio and stayed there in Springfield, Missouri. And I wouldn't have made a lot of money, but I would have been really incredibly happy and relatively fulfilled career-wise by just doing local bands and like, who knows what would have happened. I didn't do that. I took a gig with Tammy Wynette. I moved to Nashville. That took me out of the studio for 10 years. That's 10 years of my studio career that I missed. Now, did I learn a lot of things? Yeah. I worked for Tammy Wynette and I worked for Claire Brothers and then worked with Charles Clay and a whole bunch of other people and saw the world and did a lot of cool shit and then ended up doing a record, blah, 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 blah. And then Blackbird. That was awesome. But, you know, that was 10 years of my life. And then I worked at Blackbird for eight and a half years. The first couple of years were just us building, 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 building. And then it was suddenly I was managing, managing, managing. That isn't really fulfilling my career. John McBride and I had differing views of what my role should be there. Mm -hmm. John wanted me to be there to just answer all the questions and make sure that everything worked and make sure that people were taken care of. And I wasn't the tech, but I was the guy who knew how everything worked. And you have to be if you own a studio or you're a part of a studio. I wanted to be making records. I think he thought those two things couldn't happen. And so that created some tensions, and I eventually left. John and I, are we're good. We're close friends. There's no ill feelings. But the reality is, is that I wasn't being allowed to make records. I did the Rock and Tours record in spite of that. In other words, I agreed to do it. I never spoke to John about it. I just said, yeah, I'm doing it. Would you say that you've got to watch how the influence of external people and how they view you affects your life and your career? Uh, no, I'm, I'm too old for that. I don't, work, I don't do that anymore. But, but part of this is the deal. I mean, I was in a situation there, and my time at Blackbird was I enjoyed 90% of it. Yeah. And I am very proud of what that studio was mm -hmm. and, and is. I've been gone there from 10 years. So it's 10 years gone for me, if you know what I'm saying, right? So it's kind of its own thing now. It's a great studio. It's fantastic. I record there. No, yeah, well, you did the Stray Cats there, right? Did the Stray Cats there. Yeah, we do it but, all the time. But your decision-making process at that point in time differs than your decision-making process well, sure. now. Because then, you know, like leaving to go on the road with Tammy Wynette, I assume that was based on, to some degree, a financial decision like, well, th there's work here and I should go out because it's Tammy Wynette. Yeah. Basically, what went down there is I was making 100 bucks a day and Tammy Wynette called me and said, I'll pay, we'll pay you 200 bucks a day. And at the time, that 200 bucks a day, when you're going to work 140 days a year, was way more money than I was making at the time. I was single. And the thing was, I thought, oh, this will be great. I can move to Nashville. I'll be in Nashville. There's studios. I didn't realize the hierarchy of the Nashville studio scene at that point in time. And this scene that I'm sitting in right now was not here. This was not a 
thing. There weren't producers with studios. There weren't, I mean, maybe there were, but we're talking 93, yeah. you know? It wasn't such, there wasn't such time. a thing as that. Yeah. There was no Pro Tools. There weren't even ADATs. And everybody in Nashville were recording on 3348s and they were a quarter of a million dollars. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford that. Right. So the scene was completely different. All that stuff were different. Your decision-making process now is not based, is not entirely based on survival and, oh my God, I need a couple hundred bucks for this gig. You don't, you probably don't think like that. Now, you probably think more bigger long-term career. Um, no. Really? No. Oh, come on. You no. don't take a $200 gig now? No. Unless I love it. Uh, Unless it's awesome. And then I just won't charge them anything. Right. This weekend at the party, go tsunami. I did the record for free. You know why? Because I love them. Yeah. They're awesome. They're my friends. They're great. So I did the record for free. But the reality is, is I will say this. I think all of us, and maybe, maybe I can get young Chris to throw in here. I feel like at any minute, my career can be over. I'm 55 years old. So I'm on kind of the cusp. R Richard Dodd once told me, your life will be great until you turn 55. He goes, and then everything goes to hell. And he was just talking about health. And it's true. We live a sedentary lifestyle. I sit in this fucking chair all day long and look at a screen or look at my desk or look at a screen or look at my desk or look at a screen or look. I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. And then I go home. We watch some TV. My brain is fried. I fall asleep. It's just, just I have to figure out how to keep my health up. My ears are definitely not what they used to be, but I don't feel like they're, they don't, it bothers me in my mixes. It's not standing in your way. It's not standing in my way any more than it is anybody else who's even older than me mm -hmm. who's still making records. It's all about your reference. The great thing is from time to time, Mike will say, hey, you know, that amp has a whine really high. And I'm like, yep, I can't hear it. Yeah. He's like, okay. I go, okay, cool. Mike, tell me this. I go to the console, the low pass, you know, and I go. He goes, oh, yeah, that got rid of it. Great. 19K or something. You right. know, but it's a guitar amp and I've got it up loud and it's squealing like crazy. Eh, get rid of it. Done. Or we figure out why it's doing it. What are you doing to, to make sure that your health stays where it should be? Nothing. Will you change that? I need to. I hope so. Cause it... Well, that's not really true. I say that, but that that's not really true. It's fucking hard, man. It's hard. Because he, here's the deal. Let me go back to what I said earlier. If I don't bust my ass and go after gigs that, that keep trying to work, then one day I will just feel like I did a couple weeks ago when something canceled and there wasn't anything immediately on the books, I will freak out because that's just our nature. I, I remember looking at my calendar in January and seeing that it was booked solid until June and being like, well, I feel like I can actually breathe a bit. And then things changed. Things come and things go. And well, you so know, it, it, do you freak out because your overhead is high? Well, yeah, sure. Of course. I'm not doing this out of my basement. No, not at all. You know, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. My overhead isn't as much as it used to be. It used to be much higher because I had a console loan, but I've paid that off. And so my, my overhead is much better now. It was as high as 13 grand a month and is now considerably less. Which is kind of what I was saying about paying taxes. Like suddenly last year, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> all this money. Oh, that's because I paid some shit off. And now I'm not paying all this money every month. Now I have this asset. You love making records. I know you do. Yeah. Do you ever grow bored of doing it the way you're doing it? Sure. Do you ever see yourself like doing it elsewhere? 
And like tra- elsewhere in the world? Yeah. Else- sure, man. Like, yeah, I, that would be awesome. I would love to have moved to Key West and have a studio in the back of my glorious mansion out on that island that across from Key West. And But I don't make that much money. Yeah. And never have. And never will. I could make a mastering joke, but I'm not going to. <laughs> You can come to my house. You know, I got that mastering money. Yeah. I was making that big mastering money. He's got a mas- I mean, he's I mean, got a mastering mansion, I bet. But I've been to his house. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. But it's 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 not a mastering mansion. But it is pretty kick-ass. It is kick-ass. It's humble, but it's nice. Yeah, it's kick-ass. Our life as we work along here is based on decisions we made years and years ago. If I could look back and say, yeah, I wish I would have diversified a bit 10 years ago. But 10 years ago... I was still just trying to figure out how to build a studio that people want to come to. I had just left Blackbird. Actually, I was kind of still there. I was in the middle of doing all these records for Jack White, which meant that I would get up in the morning, I'd be at Jack's at nine, we'd work till seven or eight o'clock at night, and then I'd come back to Sputnik and work on projects from other people till midnight, and then I'd go to my house. I'd get up in the morning, go to Blackbird at eight, make sure everything worked, go to Jack's at 10 or 9 or 10, somewhere in there, and do this again five days or six days a week. And so time, no, not a lot of time. Going not a lot there. of time to shift gears. And now the other thing is like I'm really trying to carve out time with Diana where I'm, I'm putting limits on my time at work. So I am doing everything in my power to leave the studio by 7, 7.30 and come to the studio after 9 here. Like if I'm mixing, which, to be honest with you, is about 70% of my business. If I'm mixing, I can get here at 10. Mike's already got the song up on the desk for me. I can print that thing. I can get it to the artist at 12.30 or 1. We can go to lunch for an hour, come back at 2, make changes. I can start on the second song and then have that one by 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And then I go home. We have dinner. We watch some TV. We hang out for a little bit, go to sleep, and do it all again the next morning. Get up in the morning, sit outside, have some coffee. Hang out. Time with your wife. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've considered this. Why haven't you just moved to your house? It, it's expressly forbidden. By you or Diane? By both of us. Okay. Here's why. I did have a rig at my house for a while, and I tried it for about three months. And here's what happened. Because Diane works three days a week from home. So we'd get up, we'd do the breakfast thing or whatever, and then she'd go in her room and start working. I'd go to the basement and start working. And then I would want to get a drink. I'd come upstairs. And then Oprah was on, and I'd just I'd be I'd, I'd giving something away. I'd want to watch it. <laughs> and then I'd get a car, and then you get a car. And, and then I'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then like, okay, cool. I'm going to go back down work. And then i come back up and be like, are you hungry? You know, like, do you want to go to lunch? Let's go get lunch. So we go get lunch and we come back and then we come back and then we're kind of lethargic and we're kind of hanging out like, man, you know, like it's kind of hot out, like summertime. Let's go get in the pool. Let's go pool. I don't get shit done. So for me, it's all about like, I have to get up and go to work. The working man, put my hat on, my suit and jacket. I don't ever do that. And then go to work. And then when I get done, I come home. And then, you know, and I work in town two days a week, so Tuesdays and Thursdays, like, I will carve out time and try to go to lunch with her or whatever. What are you really loving about what's happening today with you? What's working? I'm still making records. I'm still trying to be relevant in this world. It's funny, you know, uh, that whole comparison's a thief of joy thing. Mm-hmm. I see my contemporaries, even just my friends' contemporaries here in town, mm-hmm. they're making good records. Ryan Hewitt's making great records. Reed's making great records. These are people that I 
look up to on multiple levels, technically, talent-wise. Andrew Sheps makes great records. Chad Blake makes great records. Jakir. Jakir. Oh, yeah, I can't even... How get, yeah, Jakir makes amazing records. And I really love Jakir. We're, we're really close friends, but we don't see each other very much. We have that sort of thing, like, we see each other, and it's like, oh, time has not passed, and... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We can talk about records and lives and kids and wives and commiserate and not talk about the bit. I mean, I don't ever feel like that I'm competing with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has much bigger records than I do, but but I never feel like I'm competing with him. I don't feel like I'm really competing with Ryan. I don't feel like I'm competing with Reed. I don't feel competition with any of those guys, but I do look at what they're doing and the comparison thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll be like, man did that record that's really cool and then they do the same thing to me from time to time these guys we can hang out and we can be contemporaries and we're i mean ryan is right down the street yeah i go to lunch with pete lyman and reed from time to time i go to lunch with pete lyman all the time because he always wants to do lunch because he's a mastering guy he's yeah. got that extra mastering he's got all that money mastering to throw money. at lunch does he's he got he's got time and money does, you know, yeah does he this. buy lunch well you know what's funny is we do i'll buy lunch he buys lunch I okay buy lunch. But man, it's great. That is the beauty about Nashville. That is the best part about Nashville is this thing that it's all these people, you know, there are all these people and we're not in the LA competition thing. We're not in a New York thing. It's none of that anywhere like that. It just isn't. Yeah. So I love that. But back to the thing, I've been in the last five or six years doing more production and that's a learning curve. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. Mm -hmm. I've made a few records I'm really proud of. I've probably made a couple that I'm not so proud of, but I still would put them on a discography and say I love them. But they're all your children. They're all your children. You know, (laughs) some of them you like more than others. Yeah. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying about all this? It's just, you just keep working and trying to make good records. And it's awesome when people come up to you at NAM and say, man, I really love your records. Yeah. That sort of is the. I mean, that and still being able to make an income from this business is the payoff. And having good friends. Yeah. Like Athens. Like Chris Athens here. Yeah. Yeah. We should have given you a mic. I'm so sorry. Nah. Nah. Dick move. I know. I'm such a dick. It's all right. I know. Chris Athens will be on Working Class Audio. Podcast number. (laughs) Yeah, we boxed you out. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So at 55, how are you looking at the future now? For everything. I don't look at it like it's ending anytime soon. No. Uh, But you have a lot of great experience now and a lot of wisdom to make better decisions down the road. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just want to try to do good work and make some good sounding records and hopefully people like them and I'll keep being able to do it. But I also have my eye a bit in the future for, you know, what's going to come next. I don't have a retirement plan. My retirement plan, my 401k, IRA, all that, I put into this building. Yeah. I put it into this room, actually, to be honest with you. I think I'm sta- or sitting in front of your retirement plan. Yeah. And for the audience, it's just racks yeah. of gear. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not, not Michael Brower or anything like that, but it's mine. I know what it's insured for. <laughs> Obviously, as before we wrap up, I want I got to ask you this. There will always continue to be, at least we hope so, new generations coming up, and you're definitely an influencer of those generations. So- any parting thoughts for them about... I'm honored that you would say that. I think you are. You know Always. you are. Just find a way to make good records. Make decisions. Don't put them off. And um, don't let other people control your destiny. As much as you can. People are. It's going to happen. Artists. 
artist managers, record labels. From time to time, other engineers. I can't tell you how bummed out I am when I work on something and I really like it and it's great. And then a label or a manager or an artist decides, eh, we're going to get somebody else to do it. And, you know, it's that deal. It's like you get, I, I used to get really upset about it and I don't anymore. I'm just like, hmm, okay, well, unless you really care about it. And then it's hurts for a while. You just have to just go, okay, well, how can we minimize that ever happening again? Right. Management helped me, helped me isolate from all that because I don't take it personally. I don't speak to the people who did such thing, you know, who did it. You're not working with the artist who's paying you, writing you a check, who just suddenly decides they don't want to pay you or write you a check. Mm -hmm. My manager calls them, my lawyer writes them a letter, suddenly I get paid. Good, perfect, done. Good to have a support team. It's good to have that. I can't tell it. People coming up, hey, you should go get a manager. I know a lot of people who don't have a manager who do really well. But the money, the business part, sorting out the money, if you're in this business and you're dealing with artists, it's it's not cool to go, okay, cool. Well, I need you now to send me a deposit for half the money before we start recording anything. And that money you're never going to get back. But that's what my manager will do. Right. Because that's what business, how business works. Well, I'm glad that we could do this second interview. I'm excited about it. Thanks. I just want to thank you. I, I love your friendship. And Did you're, I? I look to you in a big way as a mentor. And oh. I feel honored that I could sit here and ask you these questions and then go to lunch with you. And then go to the pool. Come on, man. We're gonna go we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how the pool Maybe, works. Maybe. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah. I got to go there at some point. So somehow. Well, thank you again, Vance. It's great you to have it. you on. Chris, Athens, thank you for sitting on the sidelines and- tolerating this while you wait patiently to go to lunch. So. He has been waiting very patiently. Uh, I know he's so hungry right now. <laughs> so, All right, we're going to eat. All right, audience, we're going to go to lunch, so thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks, man. Vance Powell here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me here today, friends. It's a pleasure to bring you the show. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right. Pretty affordable. Head on over to CaliAudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Want to thank everybody that's helped out. That includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale, who does the Working Class Audio theme music, and that unbelievable voice of Mr. Chuck Smith. Spread the word. Word of mouth, right? Tell all your friends. Connect with me on LinkedIn. The link is always in the show notes now. Reach out, and I'll say hello. Until then, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio... This is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. 
many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 